Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. Uh, uh, can can you all wait a second? Um, I just I just need a second. A, a second. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What are we talking about? What are we talking about? Well, tonight we're talking about all the time in the world. All the time in the world. And our guest tonight is Lisa Broderick. We're going to bring her on in just a minute, but let's go back to that second. That second one. How long is a second? We've been, what, told that if you count quietly in your head, one one thousand, two one thousand, that's pretty much a second. I was very fortunate in the uh, broadcast television industry to work with time at such an exquisite level. Everything happened in... Um, down to the second, even down to the sub-second. And I don't want to get too nerdy or technical off the top, but in the old school television studio, we would have all these different video sources. In the studio, we'd have camera one, camera two, camera three, etc. And they'd all come into these big video switchers. Um, You've probably seen them at perhaps a football game. They'll show a shot in the truck and somebody's sitting in front of a panel with just a lot of buttons on it. it. In order for the cameras to look correct on the air, the video had to arrive at the switcher to within one billionth of a second. The video had to be so exactly timed, it was within one billionth of a second. If we were a billionth of a second early, the talent might, literally the color of the people on the camera would start shifting towards, I've been in the sun too much. And the color would shift because the video arrived a billionth of a second early. And if the video arrived a billionth of a second late, their, the color of their skin tone would look like they were um, pale and, and not feeling so well, which is not the image you want to portray. So within one billionth of a second, 1,000 millionths of a second, the video had to be in time. And then on the flip side of that, as I've mentioned many times on the show, uh, I've worked with television transmitters, and you can think of frequency. Frequency is how many cycles per second. And as a... As a curious mind, I try to comprehend how how fluid 
the ether is. Because like a, a radio signal like AM is very low, um, like 900 kilohertz. It would cycle 900,000 times a second. And then TV would show up around 55 million cycles per second and go up to 500, 600 million cycles per second. But we use microwave gear. We even use microwave gear that would cycle 40 billion cycles per second. In one second, the the frequency of the transmitter would cycle 40 billion times over and over and over again. And so I bring this to light to to kind of take the um, the notion of time and really zone into a, a microscopic um, sample or particle of time, if you will, just to kind of share with you how I've bumped up against time. And then, of course, I have to say, in TV, time waits for no one. The 5 o'clock news that starts at, yep, you got it, 5 o'clock on the money. Ready or not, you had to be on time to be ready for a live show, just like this show is live tonight. We're going to have so much to talk about. This is going to be so much fun. Lisa and I have talked um, a couple of times now, and we're both kind of in the same giddy excitement that time brings to the table, if you will. So let's get to it. Again, the topic tonight is the name of Lisa's book, All the Time in the World, Learn to Control your experience of time to live a life without limitations. Time is something that none of us can escape, yet few of us completely understand it. In her new book, All the Time in the World, Lisa breaks down the science behind the human, the human construct of time and teaches readers how to use time in their own lives to increase productivity, satisfaction, and even joy. Lisa begins by explaining the physics, the metaphysics, and psychology of time, referencing real-world cases and scientific studies. The construct of time, she argues, is one part physical and one part perception. And she breaks down the science behind both. By controlling our perceptions, we have the power to control time. This state, which she calls focused perception, is the key to manipulating our construct of time. And in the second part of the book, she shows the reader how to build on this practice to achieve control of their own clock. Join me in welcoming Lisa to the show. Lisa, the time has come for us to have a conversation on the show. Welcome. Les, thank you. Does anybody really know what time it is? <laughs> no, well, I know. here's why. <laughs> why is that? 
Well, I mean, my, I know well, my watch is right. The nature of time is the biggest mystery in science. The nature right. of time is the biggest mystery in science today. That's why. We don't know what time is. It's a physical construct, a linear construct we've created so that trains don't run into each other and we can meet. We can meet. Things can meet and people can meet when they move around. It's one way of looking at it, but it's a mystery. It's a curious mystery, and I'm really delighted that we're talking about it on the show. So how do, I mean, how do you bump up against time to the point of, of really, like, you've written a book about it, and you're, you've delved into the, the mystery of it. How did this all come about for you? That is a story that goes back 50 years to my childhood. Would you like to hear it? Please. Wonderful. So growing up as a little girl, I was around the age of four, and my parents lived in Phoenix. My father was a computer science engineer. And back then, computer science in the 60s didn't exist. It was electrical engineering, but it was beginning. And he worked for Honeywell, which happened to be in Phoenix. So we were born there and raised there. We were were vacationing in northern Arizona near the Grand Canyon. And I and my sister, who's a year younger than I, were in cabins, and my mother was sitting on a chair, as I recall. I was jumping on a bed, because little girls do, and the bed was on uh, casters and rolled away. And I went head first through a plate glass window and was impaled. And so my mother at the time, who was very clinically minded, she was an economist, remembers seeing me fly through the air in slow motion. So that's the data point. We'll get back to slow motion in a moment, slow motion time experience. But for me, what happened was I went through the air, and the, the thing that I do remember, I remember being on the glass, which is impossible. I remember uh, the, the activity around it. I remember being put in the station wagon. I had bled out by this time, let's just say that, and a doctor had said that I had died or would not make it. And we were many, many miles from a country facility, not even a hospital. So there at the country facility, I had a very classic death experience. I don't call them near death because something clearly happened. I can remember the room from above, and I can remember a sort of uh, metal cabinet to my right looking down. I couldn't clearly see my own body, which is also very common. But then before I knew it, I was back in my body and all sewn up and in a bit of a body cast from my, my hips to my armpits and a little girl in full of life. But less, my view was changed forever. Now, I will say that the book covers memories because memories are a funny thing. They're informed by present, presently what we experience going back to the past, and they change and morph over time. But my memory has remained remarkably consistent of that experience, and I do remember seeing everything as alive afterwards. So, the, of course, the plants and the grass and the, you know, the animals and everything that a little girl would, but other unusual things. And I discovered when I started to play with other children again that I had a superpower, what I would call a superpower. I was able to slow down time. I was able to slow down the field, which is a great advantage if you're playing soccer or jumping a high jump or anything like that which I could begin to, I was beginning to be able to control. I would also have uh, nightmares about slowed down time, which were a little frightening, but something had clearly happened. And I went through life and I didn't tell very many people, although I did have some hilarious experiences, which I recount in the book. <laughs> One time I bowled nearly a perfect game because I literally could not, I was in the zone at the age of eight and could not roll the ball other than as a strike. Imagine how that felt. 
I've actually spoken to sports athletes, famous sports athletes, about the same thing. And they, what, they did what I did. I tried to mess up. I tried to throw the ball in the other lane, but something else was going on. So that, and then also getting to places remarkably on time. And the remarkably on time is if you leave for somewhere with, with far too little time to get there on time and you arrive anyway, what just happened? And we've all had these experiences. Did I really just see that? Did that really happen? But instead of picking myself up and going on like nothing happened, I started to write them down. I chronicled them. I have decades and decades of journals. I studied them. I started to study ancient mysteries and ancient spiritual traditions. And then I was given the Tao of Physics, Pichak Capra, and I decided to delve into quantum mechanics. And therein lies the answer, where quantum mechanics meets ancient mysticism, I believe, reveal the secrets of time. That is my story. Wow, very nice. Well, um, let's just get into it then. Uh, if Do you see time as uh, like a linear construct, like... Um, the the coming of Jesus was uh, was predicted, um, I think, up to a thousand years before he showed up. Um, mm. w- when we look at the the trajectory, so to speak, of our lives, um, and to think of the future, um, just recently, I I saw a near death experience online. And um, in that near-death experience, um, the woman was shown the future where she was sitting in the stands with her um, son who hadn't grown up enough to even be in the stands. And her son says something to her. She's shown that, and then she goes back into her body Um, back in time and sure enough years later here comes the episode and she experiences it so when you look at the um, trajectory or timeline so to speak of your life is it already decided and how does that bump up against free will oh boy well that these are the questions for the ages which is which is why i love the topic and i love this conversation a couple of things just for fun about time and that is my theory and a theory about time is that time is not something that exists without matter time exists because change occurs and change occurs because things move around so that's an interesting way of looking at time no movement no time if nothing in the universe were moving it would not there would not be time and we do know that time and gravity are intimately related. So that, again, we'll, we're going to file this away because we'll need it for later. Sure. Back in, going back in human history, 40,000 years ago, time was seen as chaotic. Everything was random. There was really no way to chronicle it. No one thought of time as linear to the extent they could know anything about people 40,000 years ago. But then when people organized into social groups, the social groups began to believe that time was cyclical. Now, that's interesting. The Jesus prediction, a thousand years ahead of time. Have there been many? Does it happen every thousand years or every couple of time epochs, right? These things that we continue to experience, right? Then around the Enlightenment, we decided that time was an arrow. Shot forward, forever going forward. The tip is the future. The tail is the past. And we're somewhere in the middle in the now. 
and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't change that arrow of time, which we believed until we got to quantum mechanics, which <laughs> stirred the whole thing up again and made time, discussion of time, irrelevant. Most, most uh, equations which govern the universe, I'm sure you know, run just as well forward as backward in time. So that is interesting. So now we're getting to the rub of things, I really think, when we talk about time. Free will and us, imagine, imagine that we, you are, one is, only all there is. So that everything that you experience is simply in the now for you and you're creating everything else. Everything is subject to free will. There is no one else's free will. It's an interesting thought experiment. When you do that and you, you think about that, one ponders that enough, you, you lose your sense of time completely. Because if you're always in the now, you're not thinking about the past or the future, which in most spiritual traditions are not acknowledged to exist. As you said before, when we were speaking a little before the show, you know, lighted up, enlightened, you know, illuminated by consciousness is, is this now moment and nothing else exists, which makes you completely in control of your free will. Do we give up control to all kinds of other things? Yes. Is the primary thing we give our lives up to our schedules, I believe? And can we get a hold of those too? Absolutely. And I think that's why I really wanted to delve into this work. Give people the freedom to, to unenslave themselves from their own schedules of time before we get back to business as usual. After the right. pandemic and our lives have changed, let's master time. And there's a way to do that. Well, I, I like that. Um, I shared on the show um, an experience I had where I don't, my linear mind doesn't know how to describe it outside of my soul grabbing me by the ear and dragging me up in the octaves of my consciousness to the point where I was in a field of light, L-I-G-H-T. And there was no space, there was no time, there was no here, no there, no objects. It was just light, just pure consciousness. And I look at that as like a pivot point of infinite potential. And for whatever reason, my soul dragged me there. I think it was to show me the scope of consciousness. I returned back to my body and and so when I think of my body here and now, I'm having this uh, soft quote, linear soft quote, um, experience of time. But there's, uh, oh, how how do I say? Um, well, let's slow down, uh, time down even longer over months or years. So say a mm-hmm. say a woman, uh, a woman says, well, I've I've married the same type of guy, Bob, Harry, and John, all turned out to be, you know, um, difficult people. <laughs> um, they, they all abandoned me. They all cheated on me. They all abused me. They all insert verb here. And, and so in the construct of time there's a very repetitive experience that is outside of the realm of the ego but it brings a a consistency of reality so to speak Mm -hmm. you kind of need to have that that linear experience to even 
form a sentence. I mean, I'm starting this sentence now, and I'm in the middle, and here I come to the end. <laughs> that's right. right? Well, that's what do you think? Say. So in some sense, time is a linear construct for this plane of existence. Right. What you experienced was clearly a different plane of existence. We'll use that as a very general phrase for not being here right here in this physical world and aware of our physical bodies. But what you described is exactly what I explore with this book, and that is it uses science to explore this question. Does how we show up for a situation in our minds affect our physical experience of the world, in particular time? The woman you describe marrying the same person over and over again is showing up to the moment in a particular way. Right. The cycle that she is creating that can be changed. And that's what the book's exercises, supported by science, because I'm a bit, I'm, I'm very clinically minded myself. I followed in my mother's footsteps. I was trained in economics, the science and data of, of people doing things so we can predict what people will do in the future. But basically it's all about data. With that said, science supports this, but you have to feel this. There's a feeling of time, right? The feeling of time as though time almost has a mood or some sort of life of its own. And there are ways to tap into that for your own life so that when you show up to that next moment, you are in control. For that woman choosing that same man, for her to have an aha moment to realize she is creating that. Right. That's what this book does in the exercises. It helps people create what they want to experience. Does it always happen that way? Of course not. I call it the quantum ballet. So, Les, you want what you want, and you're emanating all these things, and I want what I want, and 8 billion other people want what they want, and we're all in a giant ballet stage bumping into each other, and sometimes we're creating exactly the move we want, and sometimes it's changed by what someone else, is want, someone else wants. But it's all the reality we're co-creating. And when we show up to the moment with how we want to show up, the likelihood that we're living lives of fulfillment and meaning and purpose are much greater, and that's what I'd really like for everyone. Nice. Well, um, to become uh, aware, mindful that um, our experience of time is a pliable, a malleable aspect of our experience, it, it, uh, like you said earlier, that 2020 is, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but we've more or less been reset. We're coming um, normal. 2019 normal has has shattered so to speak and there's kind of a void we haven't replaced it with a new normal so to speak and to um to really seize the opportunity that um whatever we fill the void of 2019 with you know the the unreestablished sense of normal not that i i i need some kind of concrete normal it's really helpful for us to pause in this moment and be really mindful moving forward and the, and that lisa that's what i really like about your book and how timely pardon the pun it is <laughs> at at this time um how how does the pliability of time as far as um, our ability to affect it, how does that bring new potential in how we experience our life? 
Well, going back to what you described, so imagine pre, pre-pandemic, everyone, every, the minute, every minute of the day is a dollar, right? You wouldn't have wasted even one. Being busy was a badge of honor. I'm a New Yorker, lived in New York for 30 years. And so, but how busy you are is how important you are. Then the pandemic hits. Everybody is grounded, home. People's experience of time was all over the map, and I interviewed them because I was finishing the book up at that time. What did people say? Time was one long day like Groundhog Day or time passed in an instant. No one could really get a handle on how they were experiencing time so differently or why. I believe it's, of course, back to the theory, that time exists because things move around, and when we don't move around, our sense of time changes. Now we're through the pandemic, we're getting out to the other side, and what, how are people feeling? Stressed out, burned out, overwhelmed, and hopeless. People are bummed out. Why? They've lost their sense of identity because it related to time, their schedule. Wow. They needed to be somewhere, right? right? Now they're projecting forward another time experience that they may run, that they'll run out of time for things that they want to do, and, they're, they're, and we are all... We, and I include myself among it, I, I, I fall into this trap as well, we become depressed because we will, quote, run out of time. And all of that is an illusion. You know, we can just go back to Einstein and believe him. Time is an illusion. How do we get on top of that? We find an antidote to the hopelessness by really taking the reins on time, by understanding its nature. There are many, many different theories, and there's so many fun theories, from block theory to multiverse to string theory to quantum loop gravity. We could talk about all of them because nobody, no science really knows what time is. With that said, we can apply practical principles to get a handle of time, a handle on time for ourselves and have a couple of our own theories and then put it in practice. And there are ways to do that. I'd love to share this. So many ways that we can put this in practice to master time. Because as I say in the book, and I really believe when we master time, we master ourselves. All personal transformation is rooted in time. You're either stuck in the past, can't stay in the now, or afraid of the future. And so how to, how to actually get a handle on that so we understand all three clearly, there are ways to do that, looking at the science and also doing the practices. Well, that's what I like about your book is that you're bringing this, um, you're bringing this new perspective of time kind of out on the table and holding um, uh, like holding our uh, attention or perhaps our idea of time in in uh, limbo like, like uh, i can i can't remember if you said 40,000 or 400,000 years ago there was no concept of 40, time 40,000 40, it was chaotic so since there was no metric of time uh, it would seem like all the different consciousnesses would be having quite a variable experience without a clock to affirm an hour or two hours or 10 minutes with everybody in a, uh, without the reference of time, a nonlinear example, a nonlinear experience of time, maybe we're returning back to that but by observing how pliable time is, but using it in a more conscious way, if that makes sense. 
It does. Well, but there are practical things that one, one way of thinking at it, I, I heard. And, you know, if you look on the Internet and you do research, it's hard to understand in history why things happen. But one theory is the reason clocks were invented in Europe is so trains wouldn't run into each other. Now, that's practical, right? Keep the trains from running into each other. So 40,000 years ago, if people wanted to meet up, right, they didn't have a clock to do that. They might have used the sun because they observed that the sun came up and down. But time is very practical, which is why during the Enlightenment, a very practical time, right, when we separated spirituality from science, uh, it was used in order to in, in order to advance civilization. Many many new practices. With that said, it can be used to such a great great degree as as you say, where we can be disconnected from ourselves. And the truth is, with this work, I had hoped, and it turns out to be true, that people's minds would be open to new possibilities. Just this conversation, everybody is thinking differently. So if time is that linear construct that we used to think of that way and we could think of it differently, less we have just stepped out of time. We're proof of that. If you step out of time, every time you have a conversation you're so engaged in and you don't know what time it is. So we can all move to a new level, which fuels our minds and stimulates our brains and generates ideas and solutions, and it's an endless source of inspiration. That's where people can be. And it happens very quickly once we just unshackle ourselves from the schedule, unshackle ourselves from continuing to repeat our lives, for, for example, the woman with the husband, by showing up in the moment the way we want to show up. That is one key way to control time. Nice. Well, you know, um, 100, 150 years ago, if I was a scientist and I wanted to communicate with another scientist in perhaps another continent um, like London, I would write down a question on a piece of paper and give it to a man on a horse and he would disappear across the horizon and a few weeks or months later, the reply might come on a piece of paper, but I might have had 10,000 new questions. Mm-hmm. And and fast forward just 100 years, 150 years, chronologically, that's nothing in the big scope of things. There's, there's millions of scientists who can instantaneously with the Internet look at millions of pages of research and talk real time to the other millions of scientists. We've done so much. There's so many scientists that are so much more powerful than 100 years ago that the rate of change has accelerated dramatically. So if we bring that into the understanding that time um, affords us a new way to look at the future, our understanding of the pliability of time, it would seem like we could dream up a crazy, wonderful nurturing, loving, passionate view of the world and literally create it within the subset of a lifetime. Would that make sense? It would with one, with one uh, caveat, and that is the rate of change affects time. And so time seems to speed up, right? Every doesn't, and people say time's going faster and faster, not just people who are older. And there's a reason for that. The way the brain stores memories is likely the reason why people who are older think time moves more quickly than people who are younger. 
but just in general, the rate of change affects our perception of time. It's getting into the now, that place you were with the light. That's where time stands still. And that's what you're describing in terms of the wonderful potentials, right, where we can unlimit our minds. We can have fluid, unified experiences of reality. There's a way to get back there and have the practical the practical benefits of time pieces and keeping time that we have today. Should we upgrade our imagination? I mean, if it, if it's <laughs> literally more pliable, maybe we need to soak our imagination in vinegar to loosen it up and, and make it more pliable. It, I mean, cause uh, we've talked about the quantum so much if Jesus is standing there and he's like, oh, y'all are hungry, whoop, and in a femtosecond, here's a bushel of fish, it, and then he says, well, y'all are going to be doing what I just did um, to collapse the the time it takes for change. It's such, an, uh, such a blatantly blunt, I mean, quick, uh, modality that has been demonstrated in history, in order for us to really harvest that, our imagination has to transcend the past a little bit. What do you think? And, well, and also that's why there's so much science in the book, because part of unpacking uh, our limitations is understanding the potential beyond what we believe, which is so limited. And so science supports an unlimited nature of time. Time is malleable. Time supports uh, theories of science and time support time travel. The present can affect the past and the future can affect the present. That is quantum mechanics. So that's one way of looking at it. But I have a theory about supernatural phenomenon. Would you like to hear it? Please. It's really a gas. And so imagine if all supernatural phenomenon, including ETs, including let's let's call them extraterrestrials, and death, where people die, is, is governed by time in this way. So when you started out in a little bit of your monologue, you talked about amplitude, right? Frequency and amplitude. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll look at a wave. Let's imagine a wave function. Everybody on, on this call is very, you know, thinking science in a sense. And so think of a sine wave, right? And waves yeah. are all around us. There's, there's gravity waves and there's, you know, there's waves of sound and there's wave, electromagnetic waves. So let's play with the sound wave because the waves are the same, right? So a sine wave, which is a sound, has an amplitude, which is a height, and a frequency. A frequency is how frequently it occurs over, quote, time, right? Right. So imagine we're looking at this, and we have two perfectly tuned flutes. And one perfectly tuned flute starts to play the note C. And we can all hear it, and we hear the note C. We're hearing the sound wave come out of the flute. Imagine there's a second flute player and a second flute, perfectly tuned, and it begins to play the note C. For a moment, we would notice, wouldn't we? But then, Les, what happens? What happens is called phase, because waves, when they are around one another, they correspond to each other in synchronicity. So that second flute would blend in, and we would hear only one flute, even though there were two flute players. And why did that happen? It happened because of waves and time. So imagine someone who has had a supernatural experience or who has died or we see something out of the corner of our eye. What if there's a phase aspect to that? What if, if there are other people from other planets around, 
And honestly, I think it would be crazy to think not, considering just the mass, right, the, the enormous mass of the number of planets and galaxies. But imagine for a moment that all of that is because we perceive time in a particular way and they're either able to manipulate it better than we are, as in visitors from another planet, or when someone dies, they are out of phase. They are not here. And if they're not here in this time moment, we don't see them. Right. If you were to able if you were able to manipulate time and go back a second or a fraction of a second or a couple seconds, do you think you'd be in the same place on Earth? No. Well, you wouldn't because time and space are related and the Earth is turning and going around the sun and moving through space. You'd be somewhere else. So imagine that is what it is. And, we're, and so Jesus and the loaves of bread and all of these supernatural phenomena, which of course have been stylized over so many millennia into stories that we can hand down and remember, which is why we tell stories to our, to our, in, within our cultures and to our children. But imagine that all of that was someone who had an ability to manipulate time. Because it's not about matter. It would be about time. It would right. be a, yeah. about being able to move fluidly in time, to come and go as in a visitor from another planet. When someone dies, they're out of phase. They're here, but they're not here. And, of course, near-death experiences, I was here and not here. And I've many stories about it. There's been a lot of near-death experience research, as you mentioned, where people have these experiences and they cannot explain them. What if the simple explanation is they un- there's, a, there's a different or greater understanding or experience of time than we have now in our linear reality? And that is open to us if we open our minds to it. It really explains a lot. And it's a very comforting explanation when you think about it, that nothing and no one goes anywhere. Well, that's what I like about your book. You're, you're kind of, you're bringing that front and center and, and certainly coming, coming out of the void of 2020. It's a perfect time, pardon the pun, to, <laughs> to, uh, to stop and, and, and change the dynamic, change the, um, expect, I don't know if expectation is a word, but um, we can have a completely different experience of, of our whole life um, it, um, from this moment because we're, um, we're looking with fresh eyes uh, like, like uh, Western academics. We spend, I've, um, I've interviewed so many PhDs on the show, and and there's there's certainly not a single um, stereotype to PhD, but some of them are vibrant and way open to input and way open to challenging questions, and others are like stay in the narrative, stay in this little pocket of information because I've created the the uh, uh, the value of it, so to speak. And they're really rigid mm-hmm. and stoic. So if we if we take that dynamic and put it into our own persona, and we look at this the next day, the next week, the next month, year, decade, we can really collapse or expand what we expect to happen in that quote time unquote, and and perhaps it's time that we kind of. <laughs> wake up and and lean into that and feel the burn of that and and watch the dynamic change 
That's right. And I'll bet many, many people are wondering how, right? And so I I do have a theory about how because even as a little girl, when I would have these experiences, and Winston Churchill was famously said as saying to his opponent a hundred years ago, um, you know, he picked himself up and dusted himself off and went on like nothing happened. He stumbled over the truth, but it it didn't affect him one way or another. If we don't do that, if we take note of the possibility of differences, Here's what we do. We've all experienced those weird experiences where time doesn't pass as normal. There are dozens of stories in the book. Usually time is greatly slowed down, but people have time slips too. This legend, this urban legend, which is around today, where people claim like we're walking in particular places, they accidentally traveled back or traveled forward in time. It's really common. And there's a, online, there's a big global community of people who have experienced this. And I have many stories of that as well. The question is, how does this happen? And I believe it's a brainwave state. That brainwave state, which had me in the zone at the age of eight, possibly as the result of the death experience, or it may have been, may have been my natural, you know, just proclivity as a child going into an adult. But there's a brainwave state associated with this. And I know this less because I've been at brain institutes with brain electrodes on studying this. And the brain electrodes, it was the BioCybernet Institute in Sedona, Arizona, in a room where I was intentionally generating brain waves in order to see what I was doing and what I was thinking would result in a certain brain wave. Right. And I believe it's a combination of brain waves moving from alpha to theta, and there are other brain waves in there. And while I was there and awake, delta and gamma, which they say doesn't really happen, but does happen, actually. When you get in this brainwave state, this flow state, then that's when we can really control actual clock time and our experience of time. You said that coming into this, this theory, which I've come up with, time is one part physical. Of course it is. Time exists because things move around, right? And it's one part perception because everyone has had those experiences of slowed down time or when time doesn't pass as normal. Let's control the part of the equation we can control. By knowing our brainwave states and their practices in the book to do that and applying them to our lives, whereas you said we can expand and contract time for the future for ourselves to lead the life we want, to show up in the moment the way we want to show up for our most delightful life, our most wonderful experience. Wow, nice, well-spoken. And, and to get traction with that, to get some experience with that, the it it seems that uh, we've had such a static idea of time collectively, and then if through this conversation, through your book, through the practice, we start um, putting some pliability to our experience, um, I can just imagine droves of people that that start having a dynamic experience with time and and to the to the linear ego it's got to be such a kick in the butt to to not be tethered to not you know i mean the excitement is is uh is a wonderful thing because it's showing you yourself getting excited about new potentials and right 
with with so many people uh, loosening up the experience of time, the static uh, stigma of the collective consciousness kind of we break our tie to it. We break the the proverbial chains of this collective narrative, and we uh, we um, we're set free really from our past experience of such a static, um, colossal karmic momentum, if you will, of the collective. And the more people do that, the less we're tethered to the collective and the more dynamic and rich and rewarding the future would be, it seems. It would. Imagine walking into a Starbucks and everyone's having this conversation. Not the conversation about all of the mundane things, but they're talking about, oh, yeah, you know, I lived a spectacularly fun experience and I'm going to do this and I've been working on, you know, working on this and all of it. Time is this fluid reality where time and matter are combining into this wonderful experience that people are sharing with each other at Starbucks. That's a world. And that's very possible. Again, this work is uplifting because, as you said, it does free people. It frees, it frees their mind for imagination. You know, and imagination is the, the spiritual nature of imagination cannot be understated, right? Where you went when you were there with your soul and the lights being lifted up, uplifted, right? That type of thing changes people forever. It untethers us and it allows us to see freely, to see beyond the horizon. And then we're really living, very nice. Well, the the soul, the the big self, self with a capital S. Um, if if the soul doesn't have any tethers to the the narrative of time, the soul is probably quite aware of the potential of a dynamic relationship with time, and it's it's. I guess it's uh, a lot of what this hinges on is the pliability of our, quote, Western mind, unquote, because if we have a, you know, the the idea that it's done unto you as you believe, if if our beliefs is time is not pliable, and like we've said, we're in this this birthday gift of a void where we've pressed reset and we could literally pivot into a completely new narrative um, in order to to really tap that we've got to to shake our minds to loosen our minds to open our minds to to this new dynamic if our western minds can't um, create the space for it to happen it's going to um, limit the potential of what we might be able to create. So uh, how do you see imagination and the pliability of time? How are those two related? They're, they're intimately related, as just you described. And here's a way. I'm a very practical person. I think you get that. While we're lofty in our conversation, I'd like to apply it to my life and have other people apply it. Here's a way to apply it, everyone. Three o'clock in the morning. There's a reason for that. Three around between three and five in almost every ancient spiritual tradition, mystical tradition is the time 
of a different time, if you will. It's the time of no time in Kabbalah, as my spiritual teacher in New York used to say. It's the time of the prophets in, in, uh, in, in ancient Judaism. It's a time in India for great spiritual transformation, Buddha, Buddhism, where before about three o'clock in the morning, you are dreaming dreams of karma, which are your daily dreams. But after that, around three, you begin to, to dream dreams of the void. The void is a good thing. It's an unlimited thing. That's where your soul, that your big eye, that's where the big eye is. Because what I've learned is that taking this imagination experiment into 3 o'clock in the morning, planning ahead for it, doing exercises, I actually listen to recordings of myself and others guiding me through exercises to change time at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I have the recorder in bed with me. So I just sort of flip it on. I inevitably wake up. My cat, Al, wants a snack or whatever it is. I'd like a drink of water, and I come back. But the dream, the, the experiences of the day are gone. I'm completely tabla rasa. I'm there, right? I'm at my greatest dream state. Your brain is certainly in a theta state and probably in a delta state as well. And other states, all conducive for meditation, imagination, and creation. And so when you do the exercises in the book, in particular at those times in the morning, and then, and then just fall asleep. It doesn't matter. You know, let your big eye, the big eye, the universe, Whoever may be out there as a sentient being say, you know, Les, I've got you. I heard that. Right? You know, you want, you're experiencing this as this change in time. You go to sleep and I'll take care of it from here. And lo and behold, almost without exception, my next day is that which I was creating at 3 o'clock in the morning. Now, I've been doing this for many decades and I've written about it and I've studied it. So I know that it's true. Back to that which we believe, right? So I know that right. it all works. But for those who are just starting out, give it a try. I often get emails and tweets and Facebook posts and phone calls. Lisa, it worked. It worked. The check came. The, the, house, the house was miraculously available. I walked into something and the job was there. Whatever these things are that we might want for our mundane lives, they could be mundane or profound. When we're creating them uh, untethered from time, Something else happens. And we don't know that, but I think that is quantum mechanics. I think where you get to the real heart of the observer effect and consciousness causes collapse is where we get out of our own ways, right, untethered from time, our brains in a very particular brain state of flow where we can create these things and then experience them. Very nice. Well, you've really planted the seed, so to speak, with with your book. I'm holding it right now. It's, uh, it's, I, I'm like, I've, I've told you before, Lisa, I'm so delighted to bring this topic and you on the show, because I think it's a, it's a very timely, um, opportunity for us to do a quote reality check unquote. So (laughs) when you, uh, when you talk to people that have put these practices together, I, I know you just shared people uh, communicating on social media about the effect, but do you notice um, perhaps some of the, uh, the clients or students that have some more skin in the game that might have been working on this before the book came out? 
do you notice kind of a change in their um, dynamic or expectation of their future? Because I really think it's a, if we really understood uh, the potential that our soul sees for our life versus what our, our mind sees, to really to really start getting traction with having a, a completely different narrative unfold before us because of our intention. Do, do, do you see people that um, once they start believing, there's this accelerated sense of of a much more dynamic experience with their day-to-day life? Yes and from the mundane to the profound. And so, again, back to ancient spiritual mystical traditions, which I think have so much rich history and insight to offer us. It is so, after a death experience, the Monroe Institute, which is in uh, Virginia, which I studied at also, which studies near-death experiences and out-of-body related to that. They've done studies over many, many decades. And what they find is people who have these types of spiritual experiences are smarter, they are unafraid. They are not afraid of scarce resources. Let's dwell on that for a moment. The brain is this fabulous computer, mostly calculating how to keep us from dying. Going back, right, thousands and hundreds of thousands of years. But the brain is much more than that. It can be explained in terms of cellular functions and neurochemical interactions, but it doesn't explain consciousness. Right, And so when, when people have these experiences and even some of the, the, these pretty mundane experiences that I lead people through in the book, they're changed forever and I think their brain changes to no longer be afraid of scarce resources, removing fear. There's an exercise in the book for removing fear. Fears happen to us all the time. It's the way we're kept safe by our brains, as I mentioned. But imagine you sit yourself down. I do it around this time every evening. I sit myself down and I remember... I remember throughout my day, what was something I was afraid of? Oh, the check might not come. I might not get that project. Someone might not say this. I might have harmed someone, whatever it is. And I use the practices in the book to change it. And why that works is that when I show up later in that moment to that situation of what I was afraid would happen in the future, I'm different. And on some level, I think it's quantum mechanics, the observer has just become different. So we're showing up as the observer to our own futures differently, having created it in a way to remove fear. And that is universally, that's my explanation for why people have these spiritual experiences and then transcend into a different way of being. But I think that's what happens. And then, of course, there's reinforcement. A child who does something once and they, they put a block in a peg and they, you know, in a hole and it fits, so they do it again. When this happens to us once, we do it again. And again, I've been doing it for 30 years. So I'm really comfortable sharing with other people how to get there themselves. And the real, the real, the real trick is start somewhere. Start at 3 o'clock in the morning. Read some of the exercises. And on the, my website, lisabroderick.com, there's a recording which takes you through a 3 o'clock in the morning exercise to create something you would really love to have for yourself, something wonderful and fulfilling. And then see if it happens. Often it does. Well, very nice. Um, We're coming up to the top of the hour, and I want to make sure that the audience knows about your book and anything else that you want to share um, with your platform. Can you tell 
the audience uh, where to get your book and anything else you want to share? Sure, and thank you so much for asking, Les. Yes, so Lisa Broderick is all is on the Internet and all social media. The book is all the time in the world. My website, lisabroderick.com, and the book is available in all major, uh, all, all book retailers, uh, online retailers and, and, and physical retailers. And so social media and is Twitter and Facebook and all those kinds of things where I'm available to people and people ask questions. There is something I've begun to do, and that is people have asked me to coach them through this process of shifting time. And that has been a lot of fun. That's, where I can, that's how I can recount the stories of Lisa. It worked. So there's coaching on my website as well if someone is interested in shifting their relationship with time if they wanted to do that in a very concerted way over a condensed period of time. It's amazing how often we use the word time less, isn't it? Something we say so often and know so little about. (laughs) 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 It's been such a pleasure, exactly as I created it at 3 o'clock in the morning. Thank you. Well, it's been a pleasure for me, too, and I want to just – just tell the audience, I really, I recommend this book. It's uh, it's about time that we start um, stretching ourselves to embrace a, a much more, I guess you'd say, powerful uh, aspect of our persona to, to sculpt and, and create instead of be passive and, and um the feeling of powerlessness. So I want to thank you, Lisa, for being our guest tonight. How how fun. I've really enjoyed this episode. Thank you for being our guest. <laughs> I appreciate it. Maybe I'll come back someday and, uh, and I'll tell you my time jokes, which are really corny. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. You're welcome anytime. We've been talking with Lisa Broderick and uh, – Again, the topic is uh, the name of her book, All the Time in the World, Learn How to Control Your Experience of Time to Live a Life Without Limitations. How sweet is that? I want to thank you, the listener. You've shown up for yourself. Here Here we are at the end of the episode, and here you are. I applaud you, the listener, for showing up for yourself to grow your sense of who you are. It's my passion. It's my joy to bring you episodes like this. As as we discover, we're in our 12th year with this show now, as we discover just how uh, multidimensional, how dynamic, how sculptable this human experience is. So, I thank you, the listener, for sharing this journey with us. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Always a pleasure. Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast. To bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.